0: Welcome to Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. And we're continuing right now in a verse-by-verse study where we're going to go through the entire book of 1 Peter, trying to carefully and thoughtfully understand it, as well as pull out the topics that it addresses and round them out with other scriptures and what they say about it. So what am I talking about? Well, I will give you an example of that today as we talk about the concept of what the Bible says about when and how and why Christians should or shouldn't rebel against the government. 1 Peter 2 verse 13. And here's a, here's a question. We, we dealt a little bit with this last week, but just just a brief mention of it. We're going to actually dig into it more this week, which is the issue of rebellion. Rebellion. And here's a thought. Should Christians ever rebel? Should they ever rebel? Individually or even corporately? And if they should, when? When? When should we rebel? And if, if there's a win, how should we rebel? How should we go about that rebellion? So I think that these are really good questions. And I'm, gonna, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend I'm going to give an answer that will cover every life scenario here. But I'm going to try and, and just get those biblical principles firm in our hearts so that those will guide us through those future life scenarios that much more. Uh, because as I was studying this, it kind of hit me in a fresh new way that I found rather challenging. And so um, maybe, maybe you will too. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, he says, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So we're looking here, in fact, at a whole new section in 1 Peter that begins with this word, therefore, Submit submit. And he'll deal with submission in different areas of life. But the idea is that submission is a way of glorifying God. And don't lose that. This is a really big deal. Submission as a way of you and me giving God glory in our lives Um, and having our conduct honorable. That honorable conduct falls right into submission. It it turns out honorable is more about those you honor than you getting honored. Uh, That an honorable person offers honor to others rather than trying to receive it Unto themselves, um, as as the scripture says, there it is no, it is not glory to seek your own glory. <laughs> that's not glory. <laughs> and so um, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Uh, so first we'll deal with submission to the government. Next week we will deal with um, submission to masters. That's the phrase used, and we will deal with the topic of slavery. I'm actually going to get into it in detail. Um, that the issue of slavery, Old Testament, New Testament times, application in, in what is the final word in the scriptures about it all? And I want to kind of tackle that really face-on, uh, not not trying to sugarcoat anything. Um, and then <clears throat> we'll deal with submission in marriage, and then we'll talk about that as well. And that is controversial. And there's a submission that both between both the men and the women, and it's a it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And I think as Christians we have to be clear on what it means, what what Christian marriage is. But we also they then have to be unashamed of it, as though we're not like apologizing for what God says about marriage. This is how it works, man. This is the beauty of marriage. But of course, being clear on what it means and that it's not oppression or, or uh, some unloving thing. But we'll get there. So right now, coming submissively under governmental authority, which means that you are submitting yourself. It says in verse, verse 13, submit yourself, not wait until you are forced into submission, <laughs> I have a friend who had a, his little boy was, was being wild and rambunctious, and he was, he was, uh, I don't know, sometimes little boys do that, I heard, and, and he was, he was just being insane, you know, he was being uncontrollable, and so finally he grabs his son and holds him and puts him in a bear hug, you know, so he's just, he's not hurting, he's just holding him, you know, he's, and he, and he says to him, son, control yourself or you will be controlled, control yourself or you will be controlled, and I thought, wow, that's pretty much how it works in the world, that's pretty much how it works in all of life and all of society, is that I either control myself or I am therefore controlled. I mean, look at prisons. The most uncontrollable members of society, at least ideally, if they're assuming they're justly in prison, are therefore controlled. And there's, they, they thought they could kick off, you know, the, the, the constraints of society and ended up with the largest amount of constraints of anybody. <laughs> and yeah. So we're to come sub- submissively or purposely come under submission under the government. This is a good message for us to hear. Because here we are, conservative Christians, most, I think pretty much all of us here. And we have a government that is more and more becoming liberal and um, not Christian in practice. And so this is a good word for us because we're going to be told sort of our role, our job here. Submission to the government is an active thing, not a passive thing. Submission to any, any sort of authority is, is not where um, a phrase I use sometimes jokingly, where it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. <laughs> that would not be, you know, intentional submission. That would be different than that. And we're told here in categories to submit to, first, every ordinance of man, second, to the king, and then third, to the governors, uh, as those who are sent by him. So, in other words, any sort of authority that's given authority by the authority submit to that as well. So first, the ordinances of of man, every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. So whatever these men ordain, notice it doesn't say only to submit to the ordinances of God. So it doesn't tell us to only submit if the ordinances or if the laws and the rules and the structures set up by government are godly. They're actually rules of man. They're man-made rules, but God asks us to come into submission to them. Why, why do we need to be told this? Because we were just told we're a holy nation and we're, we're, we're all these things. Like, I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. I'm not of, this, I'm not of this world. And so you might feel like, you you know, it's like in all the, the cop shows, right? When they, when they uh, pull over the, the, the diplomat from the country and he goes, I have diplomatic immunity. <laughs> they always say, I have diplomatic immunity. Well, we shouldn't try to claim that diplomatic immunity. I can do what I want. So we submit to the laws, even if the laws are lame, in my opinion. I tend to think every law is lame if it inconveniences me personally. <laughs> I find myself complaining about laws simply because they're not convenient for me. But we are called to come under submission to any law that has been given. Um, now, I understand that there is, a, there is a difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And I, I think that that's a valid thing. I really do because that's how society... I mean, that's I think what's intended even when the laws are written is to allow... A little bit of wiggle room, which is why we we have, say, op- police officers that have the judgment call to make. Well, well am I going to give a ticket or a warning, or you know what I mean? There's a little bit of a wiggle room there on purpose because versus the letter versus the the uh, the spirit of the law. But but we are to purposely come under that submission. We all tend to think we know better, but the danger of thinking I know better is, um, well, look at the rebellion of Korah in number 16. I mean, I'm not going to go there right now, but I mean you know, for homework. <laughs> or rebooted in your mind, how, how Korah comes up, and they're like, hey, you know, you're not the only one God can talk to, Moses and Aaron. He could talk to us too. And so then they decide, they want to stand up, and they want to be, like, counted. You know, we, you're, not, you're not the end all, be all of everything, but they were the ones appointed by God. And so, long story short, God opened the earth and swallowed them. <laughs> and so, that rebellion got buried, and God was not interested in it. <laughs> But holier-than-thou rebellions are da- are actually a dangerous thing, I think. I remember meeting with a, uh, a, a young guy who um, I had encountered through just teaching studies and stuff. And he was like, hey, Mike, he, go- he went to a different church. He goes, can we meet for lunch and just talk? I want you to just meet with me for like discipleship. And I was like, great, let's do it. So we go out and we sit and we talk. And he tells me about how they have this small home church start. It's actually meeting in a, uh, a, a shop, a storefront. And they're meeting there. But they're having a little problem with their pastor. They don't really, some of the people, there's rumbles. They don't really care for the pastor or something he's doing. And it wasn't that he had outright sin, but it was like, man, really really like his teaching style and really like, you know, this or that or the decisions he's making, that kind of thing. And so I was like, well, you know, if that's a church, you know, you should just come under submission unless there's some like really ungodly thing that you can't support, then just just submit and let God deal with it, you know. And that's my advice to myself to anybody, you know, and... Um, and so then he comes and meets with me next time and he's telling me like hey they're gonna get rid of the pastor and I thought oh and I'm actually worried not about the pastor I'm worried about the people in the church because I've seen this before and maybe you have to and so they and I said man oh, you know I, I don't I don't know if that's gonna have a lot of good fruit um, and so then he comes back next time and he says well they got rid of the pastor and they want me to be the new pastor and I gave him this advice I said well the problem is, they're probably going to treat you the way they treated him. <laughs> because rebels tend to rebel. And when rebels make up, make their new leader, like with Moses, oh here we were they, were, they were rebels. Now, don't get me wrong, God called them out, but they were rebellious people. The issue is their rebellious heart. So, you know, God calls them out. Moses is their new leader. Then what do they want to do? As soon as they got in the wilderness, they have nothing to eat. They're like, let's kill Moses. And they had that rebellious heart. And notice they were rebellious to God as well. So the rebels tend to rebel. And so he, the next time I met with him, it was the last time I met with him. He sat down and he goes, Mike, they don't like me anymore. <laughs> and I thought it was hilarious. Well, I didn't, oh, I'm sorry. It was, it was ironically funny. It was, okay. I was just like, you set yourself up for this. You allowed yourself to be the hub of their complaints about the pastor. You then became the solution in their mind. For the new, for, to be the new pastor. Then you allowed yourself to be put in that place, which I was like, I don't think this is wise, man. And then, of course, someone else is the hub now, but they're not going to go to you to complain about you. So you are going to make somebody else that sinner and hub. And, and so I, last I understood that church just ended up folding and, and probably for the better. I mean, those individuals probably got plugged in in healthier environments and that's good, good for them. But rebels tend to rebel. Um, it's, it's just a, a, a vicious cycle, <laughs> a vicious cycle. It's dangerous. Um, so I want to watch that rebellion in our own hearts. Just the flavor of rebellion for it not to be there. I'm coming willfully submission, submission, in submission under the ordinances of man, even though they're just of man. Even though it's just man's decisions. I find this to be extra challenging when it becomes in the realm of either uh, government where there's taxes involved and things like that, or if it's in the realm of ministry and you love the Lord and you're serving in ministry, but it's, in, it's unavoidable that as you get to know those ministry leaders, you will find things they do that you don't like. It's unavoidable. It's going to happen. And so that's when this issue of submission will come in and will be, uh, whether you'll be able to go, okay, Lord, that they're accountable for that. I'm just going to serve you and I pray that you work it out. And sometimes God does awesome things in spite of the bad decisions of the leader. Isn't it great? <laughs> he just does awesome things in spite of the fact that they didn't know or and sometimes they knew something maybe you didn't know. And maybe God didn't show you what to do because you weren't the leader. It's a little arrogant to think God's always showing me the right thing to do. And that guy just doesn't know it. (laughs) (laughs) So I think ordinances though include taxes. Taxes. Yeah, taxes. I think our tithe and our taxes, you know, or what, you know, you're giving to the Lord and as well as you're giving to the government is just... It's, it's just those two things, death and taxes, you know, that are certain in life. Jesus was approached with, a, by, with the Pharisees, by the Pharisees with a question about taxes, whether or not it was lawful or good to pay taxes to Caesar. A very complicated question at the time. Uh, but what Jesus said was, show me the money. Look, show me the money. <laughs> I guess he did sort of say that. And then he, he says, whose image is this on the coin? And they said Caesar's. And he says, render therefore to Caesar what is Caesar's. And so, and then he even paid taxes, him and Peter, they pay their taxes as well. And so, um, even though it was it was appropriate for the Son of God to not have to, but he did anyways. Now, what's the example there for us? Is, is Go ahead and just, just do it. Just do it. Um, I, I really think that that's a good word for us. The Roman government was not being godly with the money they were getting. But they were just told to give it over because that's their requirement. That's my job. Your job is spending it rightly. I'm just going to give it over. You know, that's what I'm called to do. So we're called to obey the ordinances, but we're also called to obey the king as supreme. Even though we were told we're king, we're a kingdom of priests and we're, we're sons and daughters of God and we're, we have a heavenly nationality, but it doesn't mean that I can't salute a flag or serve in the military or recognize a secular authority. That's totally okay. Why can't I? Because I'm told by scripture, by my king of all kings, that I'm to recognize the earthly kings but I recognize he's the king of that king as well, whether they get it or not. So I can salute a flag. I can serve in the military. I can uh, acknowledge governmental authorities. I don't have to, you know, have that sort of cynical like, attitude whenever I see someone come up who has some sort of authority politically, where I want to sort of knock them down a peg because of my own pride. Not that you would know anything about that. But, (laughs) but I do. (laughs) Um, No, it's totally okay. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world and I take that to mean a couple things. One is that we we don't, uh, we don't look to the kingdoms of this world to pattern ourselves after. But it also means something else that um, his kingdom is not in competition with the kingdoms of this world the way they all are with each other. So that I can walk around in this world and and whatever country I'm in, I can be a great citizen of that country, no problem. I can be a great patriot in that country, no issue whatsoever. There's no conflict between my my national loyalty and my loyalty to God. Because I'm going to honor God by having this submission to what God has placed around me. So we're also to submit to governors or those who are sent by them. Or as to those who are sent by them. Um, So from the highest to the lowest, we're to submit to these authorities from the highest to the lowest, sometimes what we have, and I've seen this a lot, is I respect the senior pastor, but I don't know about those other pastors. You know that kind of attitude? Or, or maybe let's, because this is really about government, so I'm just trying to draw illustrations here, but but I've seen this, you know, I respect maybe this political structure, or this political organization, but in America especially, we tend to really rip on, and I've done it so much in my in my own with my own mouth here. We tend to really rip on other authorities. It's like I respect the um, the authority of, say the mayor of the city, but man, that meter made. no respect for the meat, you know? Or I respect the authority of so and so, but not not so and so. We're dealing with a big issue right now where people don't have any respect for the authority of the police, for the authority of our law enforcement. Um, and notice this has nothing to do with whether they've earned it or not or whether they deserve it or not, but by right of their good behavior. It's just simply submit and, and show, that, show that respect. Now that's great, because I'm not required to evaluate them to decide if they're worthy of my respect. I'm just going to give it anyways, because they've been given the position. There's a, a beautiful uh, rule you learn, I think they learn it often in the military, which is this phrase, salute the rank. Salute the rank. Sometimes you can't salute the person because they're rank, but you can salute their rank. <laughs> the person has got problems. They, they are, maybe, you know, they're, they're a womanizer. That guy's cheating on his wife or that woman is, is embezzling or this person over here is corrupt or this person's just lazy and they're inept. But salute the rank. Salute the rank. Honor the position. Honor the position because it's a, le- it's a legitimate position. That's the reason why. If it's an illegitimate thing, then it's illegitimate. But if it's a legitimate position, I can salute the position. That's okay. That's okay. In fact, Daniel 4.17, let me read to you the end of Daniel 4.17. It says this, um, that the most, excuse me, in order that the living may know that the Most High, God, rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will. So God gives the kingdoms to whoever he will. He picks the people that are in there and sets over it the lowest of men <laughs> you can expect that you will look oftentimes into a position of authority and be like what on earth who put that person in that role yet god sets over it the lowest of men seems he often gives the people who they have earned <laughs> who they deserve based upon their own uh, their own decisions they've been making so now back up a little bit verse 13 it says Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. That is the key. Not because government is right. Not because that person in that position is so, uh, you know, worthy or deserving. It's because it reflects poorly on God when I look lowly upon uh, the organizations and structures that he has set over me it's really ultimately here about my relationship with God. My submission to to the government um, is about my relationship with God, just like, what do you know, everything else. (laughs) So, uh, turn to Romans 13. Let's look at a parallel passage that deals with this in a little bit more detail. In a little bit more detail. And after we've got these biblical principles in place, I want to kind of bring it down into um, a Christian view of submission and rebellion and obedience and all that. Romans 13 verse 1. It says here, Let every soul, every soul, be subject to the governing authorities. That is a generic phrase, just the governing authorities. In fact, it's every ordinance of man. So in other words, it's wherever you happen to live, whatever government happens to be in place, be subject to that government. Go ahead. For there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. In fact, I can actually look at Genesis right after the flood and right, that is when God initiates man's authority over man. Uh, it seems as though before the flood, one of the, one of the issues was that there was no real governments going on. Every man just did whatever he wanted. We didn't have these sort of governmental structures to try to stem the wickedness of mankind because that's what they do. Imagine if there were no cops, what kind of country will we live in? That would be um, scary. We would need to make cops <laughs> of some kind, somebody to enforce the law. We need, we need these things. And so, God says at that point after the flood, he tells Noah, you know, if a man sheds blood by blood, by man, his blood will be shed. So, he's, he's legitimizing capital punishment. So, murder, well, you, for murder, you get killed. But under God's authority, you have the capital punishment, not just murder for murder for murder for murder, which is uh, kind of what was going on before. So, we have the initiation of government and then we see the breaking of people into different governments in Genesis 9 and Genesis 10. So there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist or are appointed by God. That is such a huge concept that the Lord has has put uh, every every member of our our um, our Congress in their place, our President in their place. Now, are we saying that mankind is not does not have an influence on this? No, I, I think within God's sovereignty, He also allows us to to have an impact on that, but but He works all of it together according to His will. But He is in charge, and so. It's in under his authority. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. I'll bring it down on my own self, if I resist. If I kick against these goads, so to speak, it's gonna, it's gonna cause me, it's gonna cause me harm. And that judgment, I don't think it's specifically saying God's going to get you, like that kind of judgment. I think it's saying the government's going to get you. It's just really practical. It's like, hey, you resist the government, the government's going to come and get you. The bad things are going to happen to you. I can think of um, people in ministry who decided they didn't need to maybe pay their taxes because they were holier than thou when it came to those things. And then they ended up in jail because of it. And you're like, well, you should have done what Jesus said and came under submission. So verse uh, 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. So the general idea behind governments is they typically have decent laws, typically. I mean, they they generally will go after, and this is generalizing here, but they'll generally go after people who are doing criminal things. They're not generally, you know, spending all of their time and energy attacking people for like paying taxes and going to work on time. And I mean, this is not you know, typically what's happening here, it, it's people for breaking the same basic laws you see across various countries. And so, if you want to be unafraid of the authority, do what is good. Now, if it comes to um, getting persecuted for still being righteous, we'll be dealing with that actually coming up right after this in, uh, in First Peter. But we'll wait till we get there. Verse uh, 4, For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword or the glock in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Boy, that's an interesting ministry. You have the ministry of the glock. <laughs> you, um, you, you were the minister. Oh, you come to rescue those who are, who are being attacked, but to attack those who are attacking. And you don't bear that, that sword or that weapon in vain. There's a reason why you've got it. So it's just really practical here. Verse 5, therefore, you must be subject. So why should I be subject? Because he's got a gun. <laughs> it's really practical. God's like, "Don't, no, it's just going to bring judgment on yourself, but there's another reason. Not o- not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake." So, I'm not simply obeying because I'm afraid that I'll get a ticket or that I'll get in trouble. I'm obeying because I want to keep my conscience clear before the Lord and walk in obedience to him. Verse 6, "For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing." In other words, it's a full-time job. Someone's got to put food on the table. So we pay taxes. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. So this doesn't mean they're right. It just means we are to recognize and submit to them. That is a biblical view, I think, of government of obedience, and of, of, then the issue of rebellion comes up. So there's three views that have been that have come up in the past. Three basic ideas. As we have now these principles in place, we can kind of analyze these three views. One of them is anarchism, and the other one would I'll call uh, radical patriotism, and um, the third view is going to be, um, uh, I think, a biblical uh, biblical submission. So. Let's first look at anarchism. And I I should say, I'm indebted to Norm Geisler's book, Christian Ethics, because I've read a lot of stuff on this, in addition to these passages of Scripture, and some other ones. Um, But I read some some Christian thinkers, and they're sort of the way they're trying to apply this issue. Because here's one of the questions I have. Was the American Revolution, like, legitimate? If you're a Christian, you should do this. I love America. But I'm like, I don't know. I'm not sure. And so I've been spending a lot of time and energy trying to sort of figure that out because I thought that would sort of serve as a a case in point to understand how to apply the scriptures to sort of a really difficult scenario. So there's three views. One of them is anarchism. And that would be the idea. um, I'll obey God and I'll ignore government. This is a Christian anarchism in a sense. Anarchy meaning without law. This... Um, is actually similar to the view of some of the Founding Fathers, where they said, we're obliged to obey government, unless government has laws that are not godly. If the laws become tyrannical, we do not need to obey those. That was, for instance, Thomas Jefferson, who was the least Christian of all the Founding Fathers. <laughs> he's, he's like the case in point for like the poster child for deism, which is a, um, we'll get that some time, but basically believing that God made everything and then disappeared. <laughs> And so he's not around or doing anything. It's, all, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like a theistic atheism is what it really ends up being. Where you live like an atheist, but you say you believe in God. Um, but he had a lot of strong morals though at the same time. So it's kind of an interesting character. But, but yeah, Thomas Jefferson, he thought if, if a government's tyrannical, then it's my, my duty, my Christian duty in his mind to, um, to disobey that government, rebel against it and create something different. Um, but that doesn't seem to fit really with what the scripture says, at least not based on that, would I rebel? So it's interesting, right? Um, I think that the anarchism view comes, I think, a little bit from our own sin nature, because our nature is to rebel. I mean, you've had children, many of you, which showed you what you were like when you were a child. You've seen these kids, and you're like, wow. I mean, the first, what's the first word a child really learns how to use? no (laughs) that's the first word they learn how to employ (laughs) properly no (laughs) it's just it's part of our sin nature is rebellion so the idea of rebellion or the idea of like anarchy it it kind of feeds my own sin nature and it's very um, it appeals to the baser part of people and it's a little bit scary in that I I like to talk to people who I see who have like an anarchy symbol or uh, we have this this business down the street that's called the anarchist library and it's I think it's a bar actually but it's called the Anarchist Library, and I thought I just want to walk in there like with a with like a, a pet dog and just let it poop right on the floor, and then when they say, "Hey, you can't do that in here," and I'm like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> I thought it was all anarchy in here. <laughs> oh no 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 that's no we got rules. <laughs> we only like the idea of anarchy when it comes to your rules being put on us. But we don't we we do have our rules for you. So nobody's really an anarchist. Anarchists everyone I've ever met was a total hypocrite <laughs> to be honest. So, anarchy, um, though, that would not be appropriate. Um, Radical patriotism is sort of swinging the pendulum completely the other way. Instead of saying, I'll obey God and basically ignore government, so I'll do whatever I was going to do anyways, (laughs) and ignore your rules that I don't like. (coughs) You swing the other way and you get radical patriotism, which says, I'll always, always obey government, no matter what, even if they're telling me to do something that would be wicked or sinful. So this would be like in the Nuremberg trials after uh, the, the, uh, the end of World War II, where people just simply said, hey, I was following orders when I turned on the gas chamber or something like that. I was following orders and this was meant to be some sort of justification. They would be in the view of radical patriotism. Always obey government no matter what. Now this means, this means that every war is a just war on both sides. Right? Because if this government, I'm supposed to obey them, and they say, go out here and kill these people. And these guys say, go out here and kill these people, and I'm supposed to obey them no matter what. So we both can say, hey, God's on our side. Which is, of course, raises a problem, because that doesn't make any sense at all. It just doesn't make any sense at all. Not only that, though we know God ordained human government, and we're supposed to submit to human government, there are just too many examples of believers disobeying government, and then being commended by God for disobeying them. For instance, Rahab has government officials who come to her and say, hey, where are the spies? And she hides the spies, although it would be her patriotic duty to reveal them. Right? I mean, they're spies coming to spy out the land. And, uh, and, so, and so, she delivers them out. They climb out the window and all this stuff. And she becomes a believer. She trusts in what God is doing and all this stuff. And so, here's a real unique scenario. And then she's commended by God in the scriptures, in Hebrews, for doing this very thing. In fact, she makes it into the genealogy of Jesus Christ. A pagan Gentile woman. You know, how cool is that? So, there's an example. Then you've got other examples, too. Um, in Exodus chapter 1, the midwives... The midwives were told by Pharaoh to kill the Hebrew children, but they refused and they're commended by God. In fact, God blessed them and gave them families of their own. Um, so how cool is that? So they, they disobeyed Pharaoh's command. In Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set up and God protected them and endorsed their, uh, their refusal to bow down. You do what you want with us, Nebuchadnezzar. We submit to your judgments, but we will not bow. We will not bow. So there is another example, in Revelation 13 we are asked ahead of time to disobey the future commands of the Antichrist government about taking the mark and things like this. And so we are told ahead of time, although I do not think we will be here for it, (laughs) but the believers that that would be around are told ahead of time, do not do this, do not obey here. In Acts 4.13 there is another example where um, they disobey the government by preaching the gospel unrestricted. They are told do not mention the name of Jesus anymore specifically, don't mention Jesus, and then they, they say, we, we, we can't, we can't do that. We have to, we have to obey God, not man. So, that disagrees with radical patriotism. I mean, there's several examples here. Well, what do these have in common? They have in common the idea that at that point, obedience to government is disobedience to God. That, I think, is the biblical view when obeying government means disobeying God, doing something ungodly, me being pushed to do something ungodly, then I do not do it. I have a rebellion or a rebellious attitude. I don't actually foment a rebellion, but I have a, an attitude of, re- of rebelliousness in that I will not obey what you've said because it's wrong. You are pushing me to do something ungodly. Now, this is not rebellion if government allows ungodly things. It's rebellion if government tries to get you to do ungodly things. You see the difference? So, for instance, um, the there were a lot of wicked things happening in Israel at various times, but people were only in trouble if they participated in those things. They didn't have to go out and stop their neighbor from doing it. So, um, yes, you have a question? So, like, the one Christian guy who wouldn't pay taxes because he didn't want to support abortion because he believed that that is wrong. hmm yeah, I think for a believer, you ask, if there's a Christian guy who says, I don't want to pay taxes because it's going to support abortion, and abortion is wrong. My best understanding, um, I mean, you're getting this through a filter here, so I encourage you to look, you know, have your own thoughts on it, but my best understanding is, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And um, am I endorsing it? No, of course not. If I had a way a choice if there was some way within my government which there is I, I, I pick it or I, or I um, uh, post things on Facebook and I make a video about it and I tell people about it and I vote you know, to stop abortion but I don't hold back like 30 cents of my taxes as if that's gonna I mean it, that would be going against what Jesus said because was the Roman government using some of the money of the taxes to do wicked things of course they were of course they were but they were still told to pay taxes so I think it answers that question for us Um, So, when should I disobey government? Um, Well, I have to realize this. I am obeying government because of God, not as though it is God. That is the difference. I am obeying government because of God, not as though government is God and can just tell me do anything and I will do it. When I disobey government is when they ask me to sin or otherwise neglect a righteous duty. Because of the situation Rahab was in, it would have been a sin for her to betray these men over to the government that God was, was bringing condemnation onto in that particular scenario. And yeah, that was a complicated situation, that was a strange scenario, but that would have been a sin. Um, so it's not simply when they allow sin, but when they cause me, try to cause me to sin and I go, no way. So how do I disobey government? That's the next thing. Um, okay, so the, the win is easy, I think. <laughs> the win's an easy one. Alright, they try to get me to sin, I go, no. How do I disobey government? Well first, I obey God, not man. That's, that's the how. That's the principle in my mind. I will obey the Lord and not man. So I, we, we actually here in Bellflower, I'm not ashamed to say this because they sent it out publicly. They sent out a letter, uh, a group of people sent out a letter and they recommended that those of us pastors who come to the school board meeting to pray before the school board meeting, they asked, please don't pray in the name of Jesus anymore. Please don't pray in the name of Jesus anymore. Now, that means to me that I must now pray for sure in the name of Jesus. Because I typically do anyways. But the moment you tell me I can't, now I have to. (laughs) Now, that's not a rebellious nature of mine. Rather, that is, I will not cease to speak and declare the name of Christ, no matter, you know, who tells me not to. And though they throw me in chains, I will still declare it. Though they throw me in bigger chains, I will still declare it. And they throw me in a hole, I'm still going to declare it. And hopefully someone once a day will come to feed me in my hole and they'll hear about Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the second thing is once I realize that there's an area I have to disobey government, the how goes like this. Just because I'm disobeying government in that one area, doesn't mean I cast off the chains of the man and do whatever I want. I just disobey in that one area and then I still submit in every other way. I am still paying my taxes, I am still pressing the button, I am still doing this, I am still doing this thing and da-da-da and I am just doing, I am obeying all the laws of the government except the one that told me to do something that was wrong or caused me to neglect a righteous duty that I have before the Lord. Um, so you could think of uh, hiding Jewish people um, during, uh, in Nazi Germany during the reign of the Nazis and so then they come to your door and you, you, you say, no they are not here, you send them out the other way and you are protecting and, and, and providing for these people but you're still paying your taxes and you're, you're not just casting off all of government. So, the third thing to know on how to disobey government, once you've disobeyed, it's okay to run away. There's a lot of good biblical examples about running away. They say it takes a bigger man to run away. Well, it, sometimes it does. <laughs> sometimes it does. It's okay to flee. David fled when Saul tried to kill him. He didn't just stay there. Actually, he stayed there for a while, probably longer than I would have. And then finally, he takes off, right? And God God was with him and God protected him. And he probably made some stumbles along the way. But um, the, the example of him fleeing seems to have been a good one. Jesus actually did this where he would simply flee. I mean, he didn't, it's not like you don't picture him running away like a little scared child, but he tactfully withdrew, you might say. He went out from among them. He hid himself. And so that he did that. The apostles also did this. The apostles would, ta- they were not just when they were hiding in the upper room, but even after this at later times when persecution arose and they were tactful about where they would go and how they would get there. Paul got snuck into the city and things like that. So, they were tactful about these things. It's okay to flee. It's okay to flee. But if you are caught and punished, this is the fourth thing on how to disobey government, if you're caught and punished, submit to it. That's the example we've been given in Scripture. So, we have Daniel who submitted he, he knew he couldn't get around this. They said, you can't pray anymore. And then it, to him, it was like, what? Now I've got to. So he goes out there and big in public, and he makes sure to make a public show of his obedience to God and his honoring of the one true God. And he prays. And so then he is cast into the lion's den and God was with him. So we have that example from Daniel. We also have um, uh, other examples from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They submitted to the punishment. We have examples here from Jesus from the apostles, from Jeremiah, from very, lots of different characters. This is what they did. They would, they would follow what God told them to do. They wouldn't put themselves in a position to be caught on purpose. But if they were discovered or caught or punished, they just would, they would just yield to it. And they would just trust the Lord at that point. And so I think that that's a good principle to have in our minds, in our hearts. Um, Civil disobedience is not the same thing as violence, right? So simply not obeying is not the same as fighting against the authority. And those, it's kind of the difference between Martin Luther and Malcolm X. One endorsed violence, the other one did not. And so one was like, no, we're going to do the right thing, then okay, take us to jail, fine. That kind of thing, versus, versus the other who was suggesting uh, taking up arms and things like that. There's a lot of examples of this stuff, David, and all this stuff I uh, shared that I think are really consistent with this basic biblical principle that I obey God, so if the government tells me to disobey God, I follow God. I follow the highest authority and um, can we seek change? Absolutely. In fact, in, Christians should be in government. We have kind of had a lot of believers withdraw from government. I mean you look at the Congress and you look at the, and the, like say for instance the members of the Supreme Court. You know how many of them are evangelical believers? None. Not even one of them. Out of all of them and uh, obviously. And so, <laughs> and so I think that uh, we are a little underrepresented. Because if that was representative of the nation, you'd have it, I don't know, like at least two or three of them up there would be evangelical Christians if they were just representative of the nation. Um, so I think, you know, it's good to seek jobs in government. Good to seek those positions. Look at what Nehemiah did. Look at what Daniel did in positions in government. That's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. If someone's interested in politics, I'd encourage them to get involved, not to get jaded. You've got to believe that you can have an impact or else you never will. It's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> um So, you just got to trust that you can have an impact. Uh, So, we can seek change. Uh, We we should not say, it'll never change, it'll never change, it'll never change. I mean, look what God did with Joseph. Look at how radically he impacted Egypt with one guy in a very brief period of time, bought him from prison up to the right hand of Pharaoh, like that. What if Joseph was like, you know, it's not worth it. Nothing's ever going to (laughs) change. Things are constantly changing. And if we, if we put our two cents in and dip our hat in or put our hand in or throw our gauntlet down or whatever analogy you want, if we get involved, we can be part of that change and we can have an impact as believers. And that's a great thing. That's a great thing. Um, what about revolution though? What about revolution? Is it ever okay for Christians to start a, not just my own personal, I'm going to follow God, and not, but actually an armed revolution. We're going to revolt, start our own government, or perhaps... Um, seek to overthrow the current government. Now, this, I admit, is a much more difficult question to answer. I think, uh, I have heard pat answers on both sides, but as I really try to think of real-life scenarios, and governments I am aware of, and situations I, I know have happened, it is like, that is a tough call. That is a tough call. That really is. So, I do not want to uh, overstep my own bounds here, but I will give a couple examples. Um, in the Scriptures, in Exodus, you could call it a revolution, but it was not quite the same, really. Uh, they didn't take up arms. So, I'm not saying that the, all revolutions are therefore wrong, but, but in this one, it's not a, that's not really a really good example of one. Because in, in the Exodus, the children of Israel actually left at the permission of Pharaoh. In fact, it was a big deal to God that Pharaoh would give permission. and That's what the plagues were. It was, this, was, this was God's bargaining tool. <laughs> it's pretty effective, actually, at the end there. So, okay, finally, he's like, fine, get out of here. Of course, he changes his mind, and then he starts chasing after them. And at that point, they could have obeyed the whim of Pharaoh to turn back and go in and get slaughtered. But there was obviously a case for at least self-defense here. I mean, there was some, there was some changeover where all of a sudden now it's, no, now we're the nation Israel and you no longer have that authority. So, it was just kind of a, a kind of a complex scenario that went on. Um, so, Pharaoh did give him permission to leave, but at a certain point, obviously, they were not, he's chasing them and they're running away. They're not following him, they're not turning back, they're not walking in that obedience to him. So, that is kind of a complicated scenario and that was a, a, an example we know is from God. Cyrus is another example, the King Cyrus actually sent the Israelis back into Egypt, I mean, to, excuse me, into Israel and they go back to their homeland to rebuild the temple and whatnot. But that came at the command of Cyrus. So, we see God moving the heart of the king to send them back in. But then there's other examples of what you might consider revolution, but it was simply uh, Israel casting off a foreign power that was oppressing them. So, it's not really the same as a revolution. If a foreign power comes in to oppress you, uh, raiding and stealing from you and pillaging and stuff like that, like that's just an ongoing war and you cast off that, uh, that foreign power. But then you have the New Testament example where Rome is doing something, well, not really simple. Rome actually was an empire. They actually made them part of their empire and they were told to submit. So, it can get a little bit complicated. I mean, what if there's two governments or two legitimate authorities? Like say you're a dual citizen. And the country of your 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 two countries of your citizenship go to war, and you're like, what do I do? And I think you have a tough choice to make, you know. And you look and you look at the scenario and you try to balance it out, and maybe you just have to pick one to be submitted to. Um, I'm not. That doesn't seem like an easy scenario. At what point, though? Like, say during the American Revolution, at what point are you supposed to be a loyalist to Britain, and at what point are you supposed to say, okay, now there's an American government that's legitimate, and I'm now have allegiance to them. When does the shift come? I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm just, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) I wish I could, I wish I could give you this black and white easy answer, but it doesn't seem to be this perfectly good easy answer. Um, The American Revolution was not simply people taking arms and attacking their former government. In in fact, it was usually the Britons that started the the first several uh, battles. They fired the first shot. Um, But, but it was, it wasn't just that. It was, it was the actual establishing of a new government and it was a new government that came out of colonies that weren't exactly the same as the rest of the... So it, it just gets complicated and I'm not entirely sure. If I was there, I don't know what I would do. But I know I would seek the Lord. I know I'd be deep in prayer and I would be very slow, very, very slow and very cautious before raising a hand to rebel against a government that God had put me under at some point. Because I want to be under God, ultimately. But it does bring up some questions, doesn't it? Um, yeah, so let's look at verse 15 and 16. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God. This is God's will. This is such an important verse here. What does God want me to do? Who am I supposed to marry, Lord? What school will I go to? Where will I live? What job will I have? What ministry will I be in? Who would have thought God's response to my will is, would be, My will is that you walk in obedience to governmental authority. (laughs) But sure enough, his will is sometimes less glamorous than we would like to imagine. His will is for us to do good, and that includes the submission thing. And by doing this, I'll put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Because they will see this obedience and this submission. Everybody understands the language of honor and respect and obedience. They get that. And so we'll be a a light to the country that we're in by doing that. I'm free, but I don't want to use my liberty as a cloak for vice, it says in verse 16. And I think here, we say, I'm I'm, I'm liberty, liberty, and and then I declare my liberty from some rule or some law that God, in a country God has placed me in, and say, okay, well, I don't want to use my liberty as a cloak for vice, because rebellion is a vice. And I don't want to use my liberty To kick against those things. And similarly, as he gets into um, a master-slave relationship or employer-employee relationships and in husband and wife relationships, God doesn't want us to use our liberty as a cloak for vice, where we end up having an attitude of rebellion. So actually this concept of rebellion is really consistent, or I should say this concept of submission is really consistent through this passage. We are all called to submit. Every one of us is called to submit. I have a host of people, more than I could count, that I'm called to submit to. Every day. And that's God's will for my life. And because what? I'm a bondservant of God. I'm a bondservant of God. Verse 17 says, Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. I like the words it uses here. So, I honor all people. To honor somebody means um, that I'm behaving humbly. I think it's a good way to see how you're behaving is that you're giving honor to others, to esteem others greater than yourself. This is a great attitude that I think uh, brings people in, you know, when they see that you give them respect and honor. We're to love the brotherhood. And notice again in the scriptures, we're seeing the brotherhood or the believers our Christian brothers and sisters as being set apart from the rest of the world and in a family relationship with us that if I can help my family I will help them first so to speak and I think that that's a good I think that there's a lot of Christian missionary organizations and Christian help organizations I don't think we have quite enough of those help organizations targeting Christians we have a lot of them targeting non-believers but believers are struggling too you know and uh, and we we need Uh, We need that as well. And there's a lot that are doing that. But I think it's very biblical to have those and not feel bad that you're selectively helping Christians. It's not hard to become a Christian if you want that help. (laughs) It is. Put your faith in Jesus, man. Um, So then we're to fear God. And that that puts God highest on this list of honor, love, fear God. uh, Because God's a sense of accountability. I'm highest accountability directly to the Lord. So I put him above all others. And then finally, honor the king. Honor the king. Not as much as God, but because of God. Honor the King. Um, so I'm not only to submit, I'm to honor. Oh, man. Oh, man. It's actually a submission thing, but I really like complaining about it, you know? I really like complaining about it. I like telling little tongue-in-cheek jokes about how bad so-and-so is and what not is. And so I try to be careful, and I should try to be even more careful as I refresh my heart in these principles, that... Um, that I don't find ways of deriding those in authority in, in especially our own government. But I will offer one, one uh, thought you, you should consider. Jesus spoke about Herod, who was a political, legitimate political authority of his time. And he called him a fox. Not because he was foxy. Don't get me wrong, right? This is an insult. This is an insult. He's like sly. He said about him, he goes, you, t- you go tell that fox. And so there there was a place for calling it like it is But not to become dishonorable to The the role that that person has and so maybe that's kind of the balance I'm Mike winger and thank you for thinking biblically with me today Uh, next week We actually have a very special message Uh, What we're doing is we're taking the topic of slavery and we're gonna handle it biblically like survey Old Testament passages to understand what it says about slavery and then also talk about some New Testament teaching on the same topic. This really isn't a verse by verse thing. This is more of a survey of the biblical teaching on slavery because people constantly attack the Bible on this issue of slavery, yet in all reality, they don't understand the freedoms and liberties and protections God provided. And so we're gonna um, we're going to look into that and explain it and see it. And hopefully it will equip you to be able to answer skeptics when they challenge the Bible. And if you happen to be a skeptic who listens to this podcast, then it might keep you from saying something silly because it's something you overheard. You're actually gonna hear what the Bible says on this topic. Until then, don't forget to check the context.